And I want to welcome you to this most special of holy days, holidays, Easter, as we remember the triumph of the empty tomb. And I want to extend a special welcome to those who are perhaps here for the first time, or maybe it's the first time in a long time. Welcome each and every one. From time to time, all of us find ourselves in situations in which we're at an event or a ceremony, and we don't necessarily understand all that's going on and all that that particular event or ceremony represents. If you're not a sports fan, you might still attend some sporting events, because perhaps you have a child who's playing or a friend invited you. In a couple months, many of us are going to attend graduation ceremonies. There's going to be all kinds of symbolism that you may not be tuned into. The caps and the tassels, the robes, the colors, they all have significance in the pomp and circumstance of that particular event. In fact, many of us have stood to our feet over the years and we've watched the graduates file in to what we may call the graduation march without knowing or, in fact, needing to know that the song in the traditional march is called Pomp and Circumstance. And the same is true in religious ceremonies. We might attend but not fully understand the complete significance of all that's going on. When I was a teenager, I had occasion to attend a church that was much different than the one I grew up in. I found myself in a highly liturgical church with lots of sitting and standing and kneeling and repeating back and forth, peace be with you. And then people without cue would say, and also with you. All of that without a program or being specifically directed. The regulars knew, us irregulars didn't. And today is the culmination of what's called Holy Week. It began last week with Palm Sunday that commemorates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and his being greeted by the crowds as royalty and they placed palm branches in his path to welcome him. This past Thursday was called Maundy Thursday. When was the last time you used the word Maundy? It's Latin for mandate or command. And it's named for Jesus' words on the night before he was crucified when he said, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. And then there's Good Friday, which celebrates celebrates the murder of an innocent man. And now Easter. The word Easter is not found in the Bible. And the origin of the, the very word is too obscure for me to bore you with. But it definitely represents and commemorates something that is most certainly in the Bible and is central to the Bible's message. That the one who was killed on Good Friday is now alive having risen from the dead. And the events that we celebrate this weekend, Good Friday and Easter, they are far, far too important for us to simply attend without understanding. You see, the framework of the entire life of Jesus, and therefore of the message of the entire Bible, is centered on these two profound events his death, and resurrection. And that's why the Bible says things like that in the first part of the Bible there were predictions of, it says, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And then it says famously when defining what the good news is, it's comprised of Christ having died for our sins according to the scriptures. And then there is this other portion, but he was raised on the third day or in the words of still another passage of the Bible. Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Good Friday. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Do you see, friends, these two events, his death and his resurrection, are the sum total of the work of Jesus Christ on earth. And these are often called his humiliation and his exaltation. Now, humiliation, you see, he humbled himself, it says in the passage on the screen. We think of humbled, we often think of someone who got his or her comeuppance, a big talker who was finally put in his place. 
When we think of humiliation, we think of being humiliated, being embarrassed. But when the Bible speaks of Christ humbling himself, or theologians speak of the humiliation of Christ, it's referring to the fact that he made himself less than he was by becoming like us. He remained fully God, as we are going to see. God came as man to become the God-man. He remained God, but by taking humanity on himself, he veiled the glory of who he was as God. By becoming man, he veiled his full identity, and his glory was shrouded, as it were. Now, why did he do that? Why did God become man? I have an outline for you that's in your program. I encourage you to take a look there. And on the left panel, I ask two major questions. What's so great about Good Friday? And what's great then about Easter? These two events that commemorate his death and his resurrection, his humiliation and his exaltation. First, what's great about Good Friday? And I say there that Jesus lived the life that I should have lived. He lived the life that I, that you and I should have lived. Now, we're talking about Good Friday under this point, so why am I talking about Jesus' life? Well, here's why. Before Jesus died, of course, he lived. And that may seem obvious, but too many of us so focus on his death that we forget the importance of his life. I'm absolutely convinced from talking to folks over the years that many, even those who've been in church for many years, believe that Jesus' life was simply biding his time until his death. And so we say he was born to die, and that's true. But in order for that death to be meaningful, he had to live a particular way. He had to live the way we should have lived. And so how did Jesus live? Let's just remember quickly. Do you remember that Jesus was tempted? In fact, right at the, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was tempted. And there's a reason that right at the beginning he was tempted. It is because the Bible refers to Jesus as the last Adam. You all remember what happened with the first Adam? He was tempted. And he failed. And now in Jesus' temptation, as he starts his earthly ministry, he is going to live as Adam should have lived, as I should have lived, as you should have lived. And he's going to be tempted, but he's going to succeed. Thanks be to God. And so the Bible says, Christ was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet without sin. And so he lived in a way that made his death, as we will see, infinitely valuable. He was tempted. He suffered. The Bible tells us that in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect, that is, mature, through suffering. And further, the Bible tells us that although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, became the source of eternal salvation. And as a result of this suffering throughout his life, he was now prepared for the ultimate suffering in his death. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. And so he succeeded where Adam failed and where I have failed and where you have failed in his temptation. And he, he suffered in order to prepare him for the ultimate suffering. And that ultimate suffering was the greatest expression of his obedience. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. And notice this, even death on a cross literally the Greek language from which that last phrase is translated, even death on a cross says, even a cross death, even a death so heinous as one on a Roman cross. So Jesus lived the life that I should have lived, that you should have lived. And this was all necessary 
to the second item in your outline. For Jesus to die the death that I deserve. After Jesus lived this life, as I've described, he came to what he called his hour. The appointment with death that he had willingly agreed to meet. When he met with Pilate, the Roman governor, he said, no one can take my life, Pilate. I willingly lay it down. The drama surrounding the cross involved a whole host of characters and players, the religious leaders and the political leaders and the feckless apostles who got scared and ran away. The crowds who rioted, clamoring for his death. These are many of the same people who had hailed him as king just a few days earlier on Palm Sunday. And so who killed Jesus? Was it the religious leaders? Was it the Romans? There's a sense in which, yes, that's true. There's a sense in which it was you and me and our sin who placed him there. But the ultimate answer to that question, the Bible says that it was the Father's will to crush him. It was part of the eternal plan of God. Now, why so? The Bible says in this simple but profound phrase, Christ died for our sins. When it says he died for our sins, it's on behalf of us, in place of us. You see, friends, that is because sin requires a payment. The scriptures say the wages of sin is death. And who was it that did this? Who died this death in my place, in your place, for us? It's Jesus, of course, but but who is this Jesus? The Bible says this in a passage to which we've already alluded. It says, Christ Jesus is in very nature God. Many people come to Easter and they're surprised to learn that the one who died is God and man, fully God and fully man in one unique person. Christ Jesus is is in very nature God. But then the Bible says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Here's what it's saying. That Jesus did not have to attain being God. He did not have to grasp after it, to try to go after it. Why? Because he was already God. And hear this, dear friends. He had to be God for his death to be of infinite worth. Infinite worth. Do you understand that the sin for which the wages are death, do you understand that sin is an infinite offense against an eternal and holy God? Sin, therefore, cannot be counted. Did you know that? We try to count our sins. You know, I committed five sins today. Actually, that'd be a good day for me. You know, I committed five sins, or I committed ten sins. And so I'm going to count them, and I'm going to confess them. But sin is too numerous and too infinite an offense to be discreetly counted in finite ways. And therefore, there is no such thing as penance. You could never, ever, ever pay an infinite offense. Did you know that? This is why he must be God for his payment on the cross to be of infinite value for our sin. And if the infinite payment that the God-man made is not applied to me and applied to you personally, then we will pay forever. And how long will it take? Forever. That's why the Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might in him become 
the righteousness of God. Thanks be to God. His humiliation on the cross is what we remember, yea, celebrate on Good Friday. We're going to see his exaltation and his resurrection in just a moment. But let's stand together as we sing.
So what is so great about Good Friday? One commentator has said this, The death of Jesus on a cruel Roman cross appeared from every human perspective to be a failure. The limp and lifeless body of Jesus was removed from the cross, wrapped in the spices of death, placed in a damp, dark grave. The entrance of Christ to the tomb seemed to score another victory for death and the grave. Christ, being held by death, seemed to end any gospel hope flowing from him. But what appeared to be a place of defeat became the place where triumph was first revealed. He entered the tomb dead and in apparent defeat. He exited the tomb alive in unmistakable triumph so that the scriptures can taunt death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, his life was necessary to his death. And his death was necessary to his resurrection. Which is what's so great about Easter, as I say in your outline. What's so great about Easter? Well, you could name a number of things. It separates Christianity from all of its would-be rivals. There is no other religion in the world whose founder raised from the dead. They are all dead. They cannot help you with the ultimate issue, which is that of death. It as well gives us hope for our own resurrection, does Easter. But here's the ultimate reason that Easter is great. Unless death is defeated, God's plan cannot be fulfilled. God made us in his image to reflect him back to him forever. And so what Easter tells us is this. I say in the outline that Jesus' life and death were successful. That what he did in his life that led up to his sacrificial and infinite death was successful. That is, because Jesus succeeded where the first Adam failed. Because Jesus obeyed perfectly where all of us have sinned. Because Jesus obeyed the Father in his death, though it was painful beyond imagination. And Jesus prayed the night before he died, Father, let this cup pass from me if it is possible. But nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Because of this obedience, even unto death, even across death, here's what the Bible says. Therefore, God exalted him. Do you all see that I have therefore highlighted? The stuff that's right before the therefore is that Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of that, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And you notice it says under the earth. Dear friends, it's too horrible to contemplate for very long, but do you know what is under the earth? But every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of his suffering life, because of his perfectly righteous life, because of his obedience unto death, therefore God has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf on the cross. And therefore raised him from the dead. Has given him the name that is above every name. Now you all remember I said he had to be God in order for his death to be of infinite value. Remember that? 
And did you know you, you have to have a triune God in order to be saved? That is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see, God the Father got, sent God the Son. He had to be God for it to be of infinite value, but to have infinite value to someone. It is God who must accept this. And so God the Father accepts the sacrifice of God the Son, who lived his absolutely perfect life in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. And so the Bible says this, He was delivered to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. That passage that we read from Philippians chapter 2, that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, was written just a few decades after Jesus actually died on the cross. But then the last book of the Bible looks forward to a time when history is done and complete and God's plan has been finished, his eternal plan to secure for himself a people who will be reflecting him back to him forever. And here's what the Bible says in the last book at the end of human history. That I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Jesus succeeded where Adam failed and God the Father accepted his sacrifice because of his sinless life, because of his obedience, and now raised him from the dead and has exalted him to the highest place. Well, all of that's great. But what does that mean to you? What's that mean to me? The last thing I say in your outline is this. Jesus' life and death were not only successful, they not only succeeded, but they are available to you. The Bible says, Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Do you all remember that we saw earlier a passage that says the wages of sin is death? The rest of that verse says this. The wages of sin is death, but the gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A gift available for you today. Every crime against humanity, every genocide, every unspeakable act of oppression and tyranny, every act of terrorism, every starving nation ignored, Every drop of martyred blood. Every orphan and widow abandoned. Every stranger in need passed by. Every deviant and perverse lifestyle. Every marriage torn asunder. Every word uttered in hate. Every injustice. Every theft. Every grudge. Every bitterness. Every lust, every fear, every lie, every doubt, every one. Oh, the weight of the cross. Oh, the strength of the one who bears it.
in just a moment, we're going to have opportunity to bow before our Savior, our God, our King, to thank Him for Good Friday and Easter. But for those who have never bowed your heart before Him as your Savior and your Lord, to have opportunity to do that. We all will face death. Death has been defeated if that victory is applied to you personally. I read in the paper this past week someone who said, perhaps the best cure for the fear of death is to reflect that life has a beginning as well as an end. There was a time, this author says, when we were not. And this gives us no concern. Why then should it trouble us that a time will come when we shall cease to be? Well, here's why it will trouble us. Because we all know it's not true. We all know, as creatures made in the image of God, that we were made by God to live forever somewhere. The Bible says God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. When you die, it's not just over. You will exist somewhere. In heaven, we are now on earth, perhaps under the earth, but every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the question is, will we do that willingly now and receive the infinite payment that he made for our sin? Or will we make our own payment separated him from him forever? And through clenched teeth in defiance, be forced to say, Jesus is Lord. I invite you to say now from your heart, Jesus is Lord. So we're going to bow, and what do you do? You realize that you're a sinner as I'm a sinner, friends. Recognize Jesus died for your sins. Repent. Repent simply means I'm going to follow you with my life. I give you my life. I'm going to go your way, not my way. You receive Jesus Christ into your life by asking. No formula, no fancy prayer from your heart to God. Acknowledge, I'm a sinner. You died for my sin. I ask you to forgive me, and I give you my life as my Lord. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for the profound events that we commemorate this weekend. We thank you for Good Friday, which is Great Friday. When looked at from the perspective of your eternal plan, God the Son doing for us what we could not do for ourselves and offering a sacrifice that was absolutely complete for every sin that I will ever have committed or ever could commit to cover me and to give me a relationship with you. And we thank you that because of his obedient life and his, his sacrificial death, that you, God the Father, accepted the work of Jesus on our behalf. You raised him from the dead. He is the Lord of the living and the dead. And he is alive now and he is coming again. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. I thank you for showing me my need, showing me the value of the Savior and the King at age 19. I ask you now to move on the hearts of many here who perhaps came into this room not knowing what Easter was, not knowing what Good Friday was. I pray they know now. And having known, they are now being drawn to you by your power to change them from the inside out into mouths that now sing your praises and lives that are given in gratitude to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
about finished. We do have a a few items to conclude before we are dismissed. If you will take a look at your program, I want to just call your attention to some things that are coming up in the life of our church. This Wednesday, the bottom right-hand panel, or excuse me, if you look on the very back, very back, Moms and Tots Day Out this Tuesday, ladies, so please make note of that. And then our midweek program does not meet because of Easter break. And then next Sunday, we have a family meeting. For those who are members of our church, if you're not a member and you'd like to just see what we do in those meetings, you're welcome to come. 
But please make note of that, dear CBCers, because it's a very important meeting as we vote as to whether or not to pursue the purchase of an elementary school in Trenton that we will use for our ministry center, our church building, if uh, indeed that's approved. So it's a very important meeting for us. Uh, That vote is for all of our membership, and I encourage you all to be there for it next uh, Sunday afternoon. Also, there was a card inserted in your program, a a, uh, bridal shower for Jessica Carrico. You see that that's going to be on April 21 from 11 to 2. It's kind of an open house drop-in during those three hours uh, whenever you'd like, so please make note of that as well. And as the guys are coming forward, I'll make one last announcement. Inserted in your program is a connection card, and that is for those who are guests here today. And if you would like to know more about our church, you see the checkboxes there for you to indicate what, if anything, you would like to know more about. And you turn that in. As you leave today, there's a table set up to receive those. And whether you want to turn that in or not, it's okay with us, but... Uh, If you don't, that's fine, but stop by that table because we have a gift box for you as a token of appreciation for being with us on this uh, Easter Sunday. Now we are going to worship the Lord through giving, and this is for the members of our church. Those of you who are guests should not feel obligated to give. Just pass the basket uh, onto the person next to you, and may the Lord bless you now as you give.
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. One more closing chorus before we leave this place. We're going to sing, He is Lord. missed.